Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. Shalom, everyone. This is Amir Tzarfati. I'm live from Galilee, from Israel. A few hours ago, the sirens all across the country went off for two minutes, and the Israelis here and Jews all around the world commemorated the six million Jewish people who were killed and massacred, murdered, whatever you call it, by the Nazis and their collaborators during World War II. Um, this is, of course, the event or the time period that the world and the Jews are calling the Holocaust. And today's message is not just about the Holocaust, but it's about whether the Bible is telling us of another one. And so I would like to start with a prayer and then dive into the message. Father, I thank you that you created all things good. I thank you that you warned us of the coming devastation that is a result of sin. And you also told us to choose life. And so, Father, we ask today that throughout the message, hearts will be touched and your spirit will do that which only your word can do, which is changing hearts, changing lives, and bringing people unto you. Father, we ask that uh, throughout the dealing with such atrocities and terrible, terrible deeds of man, we will understand the importance of choosing you and following you in these last days. We thank you and we bless you in the name of the Holy One of Israel, the one who came to his own, the one who is the King of the Jews, the one who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. In his name we pray. Amen. So again, uh, our message today is surrounding the Holocaust. Today, as I said, it's the Holocaust Memorial Day here in Israel. We call the Holocaust in Hebrew Shoah, which means a disaster. In many other uh, places, it's called Churban, which means destruction. But the word Holocaust is actually a word that is being used all around the world. Uh, in fact, Holocaust is coming from an ancient Greek word, holocaustos. Holocaustos. It's actually made of two Greek words. Um, holos is whole and kaustos is burnt. And we're talking about burnt offering. This is in the ancient Greek, but it's also something that you have to understand that the ultimate manifestation of the Nazi killing program, the extermination camps, which we will see in a few seconds, their uh, map. Um, the bodies of the victims were actually consumed whole in crematoria and open fires. And this is why probably that Greek word was chosen 
to describe this horrific uh, genocide that took place in uh, in the nine in the late thirties and then all the way to the mid forties of the twentieth century. The word Holocaust derives from the Middle English Holocaust, which derives from the Anglo-Norman Holocauste and late Latin Holocaustum. But the origin, as I said before, is actually the ancient Greek Holocaustos. And that's coming, as I said, from Holos and Kaustos, burnt and uh, burn offering. And this is an interesting thing because when the Jewish scriptures were translated into the coin Greek Septuagint, that was uh, a long time ago, the translators used the Greek term holocaustine or holocaustine to translate the Hebrew uh, burn offering called Ola. This word was chosen because in the ultimate manifestation of the Nazi killing program, as I said, the bodies of the victims were consumed whole in that crematoria. And this is why that which was then describing burn offering to God in the Jewish scripture is now becoming the word that is describing the most terrible disaster that happened to the Jewish people in modern days, in recent times but we, we 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 know that this is not the first time and certainly not the last one um in fact the holocaust was not a specific event in one place at one time at the time span of everything from 1939 to 1945 is world war ii but it is uh, in 1941 that's the the Nazis decided of the final solution for the Jewish problem, and that is in a beautiful villa by the lake called Wannsee in a rich suburb of Berlin. In between uh, lunch and dessert, they just decided that it's time to get rid of the Jewish people forever. And uh, the ex they executed their plans in many different ways. And a lot of people are watching today stuff that is happening in certain places around the world, and um, they make any some sort of comparison uh, of the atrocities we see today with the Holocaust. But it, it, it's actually it's very blood boiling to me because uh, let me show you something. This is the map of of more or less the the Holocaust of the European Jewry. Two thirds of Europe's Jews were exterminated. But it's not just uh, one country. And it's, it, it's, it was huge. All the way from Paris on the west and Rome in the south to uh, Belarus and Russia and Ukraine um, and Greece, all around. And we're talking about a well-planned extermination of the Jewish people first, using the railroads uh, to bring them to major concentration and extermination camps. The area in Poland, the area of uh, Auschwitz, is where Jews from Western Europe were actually transported. And then, of course, you've got all the other camps of Belzec, Majdanek, um, and uh, Treblinka, Sobibor, these were um, 
Jewish people from the neighboring countries, so, uh, just Poland, Ukraine, uh, Belarus, Moldova, Lithuania, and Latvia, all that area. So uh, we're definitely talking about something very, very systematic, something that lasted for years, something that was across a very, very uh, uh, long time and a large territory. The Bible says in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 3, the following thing, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. We, we, we can identify with these words of the prophet. God is showing us the consequences of sin. God is showing us what the world is going through. Because ever since sin entered the world, things got wrong. Now, when you... When it comes to Israel, Israel was hated since it was born as a nation during the exodus from Egypt. Make no mistake, Satan marked Israel as his biggest enemy simply because he knew that out of that nation will come the one who will crush his head with his foot. The one that will be the seed of the woman. And therefore, the nation of Israel even though it did nothing wrong, neither to the Egyptians nor to uh, the nations along its wandering in the desert, it was hated and a target for extermination ever since. So if you're asking what's different or what's new about the Nazi doctrine compares to all the attempts to kill the Jews in earlier time periods, there is one major difference. The Jewish people from the very beginning were hated for several reasons. A, for the fact that they have a different God. They don't worship pagan gods. They have one God. B, their God is not seen. Their God is not touchable. You cannot see him. You cannot touch him. It's not, it's not a God that you, you, you carve out of wood or stone. And so this was something very different to so many. They had different calendar, different holidays, different costumes, different eating habits. Uh, they stayed away from certain places, certain foods. I mean, they were very much into being set apart from the rest of the world by the way they kept the, the, the word of God or the law of God when they were surrounded by so many pagans all around them. So what was so different about the Nazi doctrine? The Nazi doctrine, which was uh, something of diabolic roots from much earlier times, but it was something that you could sense and smell and understand that it's coming already. If you read uh, the uh, Nazi propaganda and platforms, even in the late 1990s, uh, 1919s, 20s, it wasn't born when Hitler came to power in 1933. It actually was there before. He implemented what he already believed strongly beforehand. Hitler believed for the first time, I think, that the Jewish people are to be killed not because they are different, different God, different, uh, um, I guess, foods, different outfit, 
he truly believed that the Jewish people are subhumans. They're not even humans. Therefore, humans can actually kill any creature that is not human and it's an endangering its existence. In other words, if Hitler thought that the Jewish people are a danger to the existence of the German nation, the Europeans, or the whole world, he would gladly and easily convince people that it's okay to kill them because they're not even humans. So it's not a murder after all. So the Jews are not humans, therefore they can be killed. By the way, make no mistake, um, even up until a few years ago, in many different schools and universities, they tried that. They, they tried to uh, indoctrinate students that certain type of people are actually not equal to the rest. And they wanted to see if those people will have it easier to do something bad or wrong to them. And they realized it was much easier than they thought. However, the hatred in this world, the murderous spirit in this world, did not start with Adolf Hitler. It did not start with the German Nazis. It did not start in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. I can take you all the way back to the very beginning. And the Bible says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his image and gave him dominion over this world. But we know that ever since sin entered the world, the ruler of the world, the ruler over the creation, the ruler of things that are on earth is not exactly Adam and his descendants. Take a look. The Bible says in the, the Gospel of John, both in chapters 12, 14, and 16, the following. First, it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In other words, there is Satan is the ruler of this world. Then he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me. Uh, humans can be part of, uh, you know, they can have Jesus in them if they confess their sins and, and, and acknowledge and they can have Jesus in them. But Satan cannot. And he has nothing in him. Uh, of Jesus, of course. And you can clearly see in John 16, it says, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So judgment is awaiting the ruler of this world. And a lot of you are probably saying, wait a minute, I thought God is controlling everything. He is the ruler of the whole thing. Well, in the Greek, the term world in the Gospel of John in those three chapters, the word, the word cosmos, it refers to the human society that is alienated from God and whose behavior is out of harmony with his will. God did not produce this unrighteous world. It is, as the Bible says in 1 John 5, 19, it is lying in the power of the wicked one. Wicked spiritual hosts in the heavenly places 
the Bible says in Ephesians 6, act as the invisible world rulers. And this is the form of the Greek word kosmokrator of this darkness. They are the rulers of the world, kosmokrator. And that's what Ephesians 6 verse 12 is saying to us. So we are seeing that ever since sin entered the world, the dynamic has changed. And even though God is still the one who created heavens and earth, and he can do whatever he wants, there are consequences of sin and the alienation of, 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 of men from God, as Isaiah said, your sins are separated your, you from me. It's out of sync, out of harmony. There's spiritual death that took place and that enables Satan to execute his wish. Now, Adam and Eve were spared of the danger of death if they ate the fruit. Yet within their free will, they chose to eat it anyway. So we, uh, we understand it. there was a free will. It, it, look, if God would have created them as robots and programmed them not to touch that fruit, then, of course, they wouldn't touch it. But th that means that they do not have free will. It's free will that God gave humans. So that enables them to choose. And their choices have, like our choices today, have consequences. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. See, from the sin, the first sin, the disobedience that the, was demonstrated by Adam and Eve, we see how death came to the world and death spread to all men because all sinned. There's not a single person that was born righteous. Uh, the Bible says... Uh, that David said, in sin, my mother had conceived me. Uh, so sin is now in the DNA of humans. And this is exactly why the first birth is okay, but it's only birth from above that can actually cause you to once again have this fellowship with God. Now, why does God allow evil? This is, I mean... One of the things that uh, people have a hard time with when it, they deal with the Holocaust is, how, how come God allowed all of this? I mean, is, is God not in control? And I mean, couldn't he have stopped the Nazis? I mean, there's a lot of wondering, especially, you know, as a believer, uh, you know, I trust the Lord. But can you imagine uh, Israelis like, like me that are non-believers and they're grandchildren of Holocaust survivors? I'm a grandchild of Holocaust survivors from my mom's side. And also on my father's side, family members were taken to extermination camps from Northern Africa. My wife's side as well. My late father-in-law's, he was born in a, in a, in a um, refugee camp in a Southern Italy city uh, on its way uh, to Israel. And that was after they survived the Holocaust, his parents, of course. Now, we have to ask ourselves three questions. One, where does evil come from? 
Second, why does evil exist? And three, how does God respond to evil? Because if we don't talk about that, we will never be able to even understand how come these events even took place. So first of all, where does evil come from? It's a, it's a legitimate question. Now, evil in all forms is a result of disobedience to God and his laws. And we know that for a fact. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, Satan before the creation is already having that disobedience. Genesis 3, 1 to 7, Adam and Eve in the garden, disobedience. And Romans 5, 12 says, since Adam and on all men, disobedience. So we can clearly see that sin started even before in the heavenly realm, continued through the creation of Adam and Eve and the story in the garden, and continued there from all the way even up until today. Now, evil has been there since almost the beginning and will be there all the way to the end. Make no mistake, God created a perfect, beautiful world, but he gave us free will. And the minute we make the wrong choices, we suffer the consequences thereof. Evil today is not just a moral thing. It's moral and also natural. Make no mistake, violence, immorality, and hatred in this world is caused by man's unwillingness to love and obey God and to love his neighbor as himself. Ignorance and poverty are the result of sin, not the cause of it. And many people try to find them as the reason for it rather than the result thereof. Now, every crime, every broken home, every emotional or physical abuse is the result of pride, lust, selfishness, and anger, or in one word, sin. And we have to remember that. Either someone is guilty of it or someone is victimized by it, but it's sin. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Sin is the root of evil and the wages of sin, as I said, is death. And death is manifested in this world through evil, not just funerals. You know, uh, people think that when somebody died, then that's it. He's buried. No, evil is a form of death, a manifestation of that death that came to the world, that spiritual death, that disconnection and separation from God and, and his word. You know, Dr. Henry Morris uh, wrote in a very good book called The Genesis Record. He wrote this. After the fall of Adam, we find a broken relationship with God, social breakdown causing the shame Adam and Eve felt, and the murder right after of Abel by Cain. And then, don't think it stopped there, ecological breakdown, difficulty in childbirth, the toil to live from the earth, until the greatest natural disaster in history, which is, of course, the flood in the time of Noah. After the fall of Adam, we find a scientist who actually wanted to see what would happen to a planet that was covered with water. They reached the conclusion that matches the reality of today. Two frozen poles 
the dissolving of the vapor shield that irrigated the earth from underground streams, causing the invasion of new bacteria that resulted with diseases to man, beasts, and plants. This imbalance in nature has caused catastrophes since that time. So now we understand man's sinfulness led to the flood that led to the defective planet that we have today. Now, the second question is, why does God permit evil to exist? And I guess the only answer is free will. Free will. Remember, without free will, man is not in the image of God. Man is a robot. Man is a machine. Man is not a living, thinking creature. Free will is the answer. Men must be able to glorify God willingly and freely. Therefore, free will was given. We were created for him to worship him. For that, we need free will. Man is the only creature that can interact with God. And without free will, we cannot do that. God could communicate and so could man. We have to understand that. Man could appreciate beauty just like that. We need free will to appreciate, to adore, to admire, and of course to worship. Man was given the power of free will and without which he is not in the image of God. And it has to be clear. Man had the power to be with God in perfect harmony without evil or suffering. That was in the very beginning, if you remember. But unfortunately, man chose the opposite. Man chose to disobey God and bring evil and suffering into this world. And why did God create man anyway? Creating man was better than not. Since he is God and makes no mistakes, proves that it was the right choice. Number three is how does God respond to evil? So first of all, God limits evil. He limits the lifespan of man, both evildoers and those who suffer. You know, uh, we know that God could have easily completely destroyed this world once again. It was just one person that he saw, but Noah, remember in chapter 6 of uh, the book of Genesis, that caused him not to destroy all mankind altogether. Now, man is capable of great good, believe it or not. We can still find things to smile about. If it was up to Satan, we would never have found joy because he is the one who steals joy. Make no mistake. God has provided knowledge to man to fight diseases, relieve suffering, and solve problems caused by sin and fulfilling Genesis 1, 27. Number two, God uses evil to teach man lessons about good. We know that Job was a victim of both natural and moral evil. He's an example of evil used to teach and mature one of God's sons. His suffering taught him to trust God to run the universe. It's very important. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 8 and verse 
10 says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that lesson, the Apostle Paul learned very quickly and, and, and embraced it very gladly. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Number three, God allows evil to exist, but not to win. And you have to remember that. He answered the problem of evil once and for all through his son, Jesus Christ. He did this to pay the penalty due for every sin of every person that ever lived. And it's important that we understand that. 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wow. And no. God did not change his mind. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that, that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And unfortunately, the last one I've seen plentiful thereof among believers in the last few years. So many, so many, unfortunately, that don't understand how devastating it is to sow discord among brethren. So we talked in general about sin and about evil. But now let's get back to Israel itself, because let's face it, the Holocaust is a word that is so much identified with the disaster of the Jewish people. Regarding it, the question that we need to ask is, is the Bible mentioning that famous Holocaust, the, the 20th century European Holocaust at all? The one that was taking place shortly before the rebirth of the state of Israel. And I... I want to argue that it did, actually. In Ezekiel 37, the first 14 verses are a clear, in my mind, a clear description of that event and that which followed it. The Bible says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, 
hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And he continues, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. The Bible says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones... Now he becomes, he gets very specific. These bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. There was a moment in history where they were led to the slaughter and they thought God forgot all about them. And they said, bones are dry, hope is lost, and we are cut off. And look what God says, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Which means, by the way, this is a disaster that took place outside of the land of Israel that caused eventually God to bring them back to the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you. You shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Which disaster, which genocide, which crime against humanity was done to the Jewish people that eventually led to the rebirth of the nation of Israel in the land of Israel. Of course, it's the 20th century Holocaust. Ladies and gentlemen, of all the times the Jews returned back to their land, the only time they returned back to their land after they were there was such an attempt to kill them all was the 20th century. And ladies and gentlemen, the Jews survived the most sophisticated and documented genocide in the history against all odds. The Jews returned back to their land by sea, by foot, and by air against all odds. The Hebrew language came back to life after 2,000 years against all odds. But the question that this message is all about is, is the Bible predicting Another Holocaust-type terrible period for Israel. Now, in a very interesting timing, a couple days ago, and I did not know about it until today, 
couple days ago in the Israel Today newspaper, a poll was uh, done and look what it says. Nearly half of Israelis fear another Holocaust. We're no longer completely uh, spread all around the world without our own military, without our own government, without our own language and nation. Yet, according to a poll conducted by the Pnima movement on the eve of the Holocaust Remembrance Day on April 27th, most Israelis also expect the day to lose importance over time. And they understand that eventually nobody will think that we need to remember the first Holocaust because eventually the events will bring probably another one. Now, I want to concentrate on three Old Testament portions that are describing the next one. Now, I'm not necessarily going to call it another Holocaust, because remember the name Holocaust mostly insinuated the burning of the bodies. But it is definitely going to be an attempt of genocide, and it's going to be an attempt to wipe the Jews off the map. First of all, the book of Daniel in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, says the following thing. At the time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So Gabriel is telling Daniel about Michael being the guardian of the nation of Israel. And then he says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at the time, your people, that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So you see there's a specific portion of Israel that will be delivered, only those whose name is found in the book. And look what he says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, which are those who are written in the book, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, as all non-believers. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, look what he says, look, this is a future prophecy. Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Daniel basically is given a, an amazing introduction to a future event that will actually make all events previous, all attempts previously um, to kill is or completely annihilate Israel, he will make them less severe. Because remember, he said, the following says, this trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. In other words, when this next trouble is going to happen, everything that happened before was not as bad as the next one. That's what he basically says. It's very interesting because... Jeremiah is giving to that trouble 
and a very distinct name. Jeremiah says in chapter 30, verses 4 to 7, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and of, of not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like that. Even Jeremiah says, nothing before can be compared to this one. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the attempt to kill the Jews. It's Israel's problem. Jacob's is Israel's name. Or Israel is the other name of Jacob. And then he says, but he shall be saved out of it. And we know from Daniel exactly which portion of Israel will be saved out of it. Those whose name is written in the book. What about the rest? Now comes the sad part, the hard part, the heart-wrenching part, the, the gut-wrenching part. The, this is, I believe, what should cause every Christian worldwide to want to run and share the gospel with the Jews. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 13, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. So you see, apart from those who pledged uh, or who put their faith in God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, Apart from those who will be kept in the desert, as the book of Revelation chapter 12 describes, that war between Michael and the dragon, and then, of course, Satan was casted down forever to earth. That war, we know that, um, is, is, of course, a spiritual war. And, and, and we can clearly see that um, it says that two-thirds, two-thirds, of Israel will die. They will, as, as, as the Bible says, they shall be cut off and die. This is that disaster. You see, the Holocaust, as bad as it was, it wasn't two-thirds of the Jews around the world. In fact, this week I learned that we finally managed to get back to the number of Jews we had before the Holocaust. And if Roughly a third of the Jews died then. This portion tells us that two-thirds of Israel is going to die. Not die because God hates them. Die because they will reject that only way to have eternal life. They will most likely fall into the trap of worshiping the false messiah and receive his mark on their forehead or their right hand. 
But I want to remind you what the book of Romans chapter 11 verses 25 to 36 says. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. These are uh, verses that the Apostle Paul quotes from Psalm 14 um, and from Isaiah uh, 59. Um, and, and then he, it continues and it says concerning the gospel at this point, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to them and is and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And I want to remind you, folks, I want to remind you that in Ezekiel chapter 36, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel of this very amazing restoration of Israel eventually. First comes the physical, but then comes the spiritual. Now, we learned that not all of them will be restored. Some of them will died or many of them will die because of their own decision but there will be a restoration as ezekiel says and as paul wrote that blindness in part has happened to israel but at the time of the return of jesus back to earth as they see whom they pierced then all israel will be saved those whose name is in the book now ezekiel 36 says moreover he says the following thing. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their ways was like an uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. You see, God is, these are the consequences of their ways and their deeds. It's not God is so angry, is so bad that he decided just to uh, punish people. No, these are consequences of sin. And then the Bible says, and when they came to the nations wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. Now, how was Israel profaning the name of God when the nation said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land? 
You see, God promised to the nation of Israel, the land of Israel. Everyone around knew they're the people of the Lord. And when they saw the people of the Lord away from his land, that was an insult to God. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. How Again, how did they profane it? Just by being away from their land. So their sin caused them to be dispersed. Their dispersion gave God a bad name among the nations because everyone knew these are God's people. They should be in God's land. And then he says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake or house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And then he said, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. God says, look, I may have punished you as a consequence of your sins, but I'm going to do something through you, with you, and for you. And the nations of the world are going to see that. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then, so first of all comes the physical restoration, as we read also in Ezekiel 37. But then he says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, said the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded by your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. Look, I could go on and on and on. All I want you to know is that eventually there will be a spiritual restoration of Israel. And only then, only then, once they acknowledge their sins, once they uh, you know, ask forgiveness, once they understand the shed blood on the cross, then they will enjoy the presence and the fellowship of God and the blessing of God that comes right after. Remember, sometimes in the history of Israel, it is only suffering that brought them close to God. Hosea 5.15 says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction 
they will earnestly seek me. And that's the only way to believe in God is when we earnestly seek him. And I will conclude with this. If you ever think that even with the next disaster that is going to befall Israel, with this what we call second Holocaust that will make the first one even pale, even then God will not bring Israel to an end. The Bible says in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And that, of course, exactly what Romans 11 says, for the gifts of the calling and the callings of God are irrevocable. God do not change. And remember that. Hold on to Malachi 3.6. Because if God would have changed, then what could stop him from not uh, from, 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 from keeping his promises to you also. In fact, the way we see how God is dealing with Israel should comfort every believer, non-Jewish believer as well, all around the world. The faithfulness of God to his people, to his promises to his people, are the most beautiful thing that, can, that a non-Jew can hold on to in his walk with the Lord. So yes, dark times are ahead of us. Yes, there is a good reason why almost half of the Israelis believe there will be another Holocaust. We can clearly see the very chaos all around the world, the rise of countries and, and forces that wants to eliminate and destroy us. We can clearly see the buildup of, of, of nuclear power by Iran. We can see the hunger of the Russians to, to take our gas and oil, we can clearly see the Islamic intention to bring about an end to Israel. We can clearly see all those things. This is the Ezekiel war that everybody is expecting around the corner. But I want you to know, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, there is a way to run away from these terrible things that are going to fall upon this world. There is a way for every Jew to escape that Jacob's trouble, the trouble of Jacob, that time of trouble that Daniel 12 is talking about. And the only way is now to believe in the one who came and, and shed his blood and took upon himself our sins in Yeshua HaMashiach, the one that is described throughout the entire Old Testament. Remember, Jesus proved his Lordship, his messiahship, his, his deity to everyone, only using the Old Testament. He's everywhere from Genesis all the way to the prophets th through Psalms. He's there all over. And if you want to make sure that you'll see all these horrific things from a bird's eye view, that you will be present in the sight of the Lord in the throne room rather than be on this horrific earth that will be controlled by that dragon and his minions and the one that he appoints to rule the world, the Antichrist. You can actually escape that. And there's no shame in saying that I want to escape that. In fact, you should say that. If you want to escape it, then choose the Lord, 
read Isaiah 53, understand that you and I have all gone astray. Each and every one of us went to his own way. And the Lord put on him the iniquities of, our, of us all. The entire gospel of the birth in Bethlehem to a, a, a virgin is not only in, in, in uh, the book of Jeremiah and the book of Isaiah and, uh, uh, and so many others, but the death, the atoning death and the resurrection are all there. And remember, without the resurrection, we're still in our sins. And if we only believe in him for hope in these lives, in this life now, then of all people, we're the most pitiable, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We need to remember the greatest blessing is still ahead of us, and it's up there, eternity with him. And until then, we're here to spread the gospel so lives will be changed, souls will be saved, and as many as we can pluck out of the coming trouble of Jacob. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We are amazed at the amount of information that we are exposed to in the scriptures as pertaining for the future. And we understand that to whom much is given, also much is required. And we understand that all this information that you have uh, ge very generously shared with us is not just so we can keep it to ourselves, is so we can have that burden and heart for our brothers and sisters to go and share your word with them. Maybe, maybe they will be saved. Maybe they will acknowledge their sinful nature. Maybe their hunger and thirst for something better in their life will eventually lead them to their knees to understand their need for you. Father, we pray for the nation of Israel that is every year commemorating a Holocaust, but yet is not fully aware of the more, more terrible one that is still ahead of them. We see that they already smell something big is coming, but it's going to be so bad. Father, we ask that you will just make us vessels to bring forth your message and to draw unto you as many of your uh, beloved nation, Israel. We thank you, we bless you, and we do that in the name of the Holy One of Israel, the one who came to his own. Yes, his own received him not, but he never ever gave up on them. We thank you that he will return as the Lion of the tribe of Judah to the Mount of Olives to reign from Jerusalem. And once again, Jerusalem and Israel will be the head of all nations and the city of the great King. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for the future. We bless your name. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. And Shalom from Galilee. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. 
download our free app available in Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.